All right, everybody. Uh, good afternoon, and uh, thank you for uh, joining us today. So my name is Stan Zlotsky uh, from the Morgan Stanley Software Research Team. Uh, and with us this afternoon, we have the pleasure of hosting uh, Kate and Chuck from uh, uh, HubSpot. Kate, Chuck, how are you guys? Good, thanks. Hi. Thank, thank you so much for having us. Uh, thank you for joining us, rather. Um, so before we get started, a uh, very quick Please note that all important disclosures, including personal holdings disclosures and Morgan Stanley disclosures, appear on the Morgan Stanley public website at www.morganstanley.com slash research disclosures or at the registration desk. Uh, so, guys, uh, we're asking all our companies uh, this uh, uh, wonderful question, but uh, I realize you only you reported earnings just uh, two weeks ago. Um, you know, how are you thinking about the, the impact of the um, coronavirus uh, you know, you do have the international exposure, and it's it's one of the faster-growing businesses. But you know, what are you, I'm guessing you're just you're monitoring the situation. Yep, that's absolutely right. This is obviously, you know, first and foremost a human crisis, and so we're obviously aware of that. But from a business perspective, you know, you're right on. We announced earnings two weeks ago. Uh, at the time, there was no. Uh, global impact or on-demand uh, to note, and we did say that on the call. Um, we're obviously actively monitoring the situation. Uh, we're a little bit cautious in the actions that we're taking internally. We have a partner day upcoming that we have decided to do remote. Um, but frankly, the company has been a very remote-first culture for a long time, and so our team really knows how to get stuff done from anywhere. And so uh, we are, business as usual, actively working and near term really still very much accomplishing uh, the business. Um, that said, you know, if this does turn into a recession, right. uh, uh, our customers, like everyone's customers, will feel the impact. Uh, but we feel like we're you know, well positioned financially to weather that. Does, does the fact that you guys have this SMB exposure rather than a lot of software companies, you know, big enterprise exposures, big, you know, supply chains that stretch globally, um, does it, is it fair to say that maybe you guys are almost a little bit less um, sensitive, a little bit more insulated because of the SMB exposure? I mean, I think we've heard the case uh, be made and I think we're hopeful uh, that that's ultimately the case. I think the reality is that um, you know, we've we've been in a economic bull market for you know the better part of the last 10, 12 years. I don't think there have been you know very many examples of you know seeing significant pullbacks uh, macroeconomically and sort of what that means to models and and, and spending levels. Uh, and that said, I mean one thing that gives me you know confidence in our model and I feel like will allow us to, you know, hold up better than, say, the way that we were positioned five years ago is that if you think back to, you know, sort of HubSpot at our IPO, you know, we're a business with 10,000 customers, single application, three different flavors, um, and, you know, it, it was a, a piece of software to the extent that uh, you went into a recession that would be quite easy to to sort of uh, cancel, and you fast forward to today, and 40% of our business is now on multiple products, and in most cases, we we own the underlying CRM uh, for those multi-product customers, and and so in those cases, you know, those customers are running their entire front office on HubSpot, um, 
And so I think it'll take a, a pretty significant pullback in spending levels and um, you know a, a pretty difficult economic environment uh, to rip that right. uh, out entirely. So we'll have to see. Right. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and and, and Chuck, you know, you um, you actually transitioned very nicely, right? You, if if we go back to um, the, the days of IPO of HubSpot, right? You, back then, you were just a single product company. Just you, well, although it's a great product, right? The marketing automation product but it was still just one product, right? Today you have this entire suite that addresses the front office of, of an SMB. Um, when, you think about, when, you, when you think about where the, the, the suite of these products is going in 2020 and beyond, um, how are you thinking about your, the, your, your product roadmap um, for, for, for the broader suite? Yeah, why not start and you can dive in. Um I think there are a number of places where you're going to see product innovation in the near term or, you know, over the next few years. Uh, there's still work to be done in each of the hubs that we do have, right? So Marketing Hub, which is the one that's been around since the IPO, you would argue is the most mature of all the hubs, but um, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of innovation over the last couple of years has been at that premium tier, so the, the lower end of the market. There's a lot of work to be done still at that sort of more upmarket tier in the Marketing Hub. You saw three launch the Marketing Hub Enterprise product in January. That's sort of the start of that. Uh, on the Sales Hub, I think there's work to be done certainly upmarket. Uh, there's work to be done at the starter level as well. And the Service Hub is really a version one of that product. We think there's some core functionality uh, up and down the stack that we have a uh, line of sight to and, and we're executing against. Um, that said, we, we do have ideas and we've said consistently we have uh, lots of ideas for new hubs and over the next couple of years you will see us you know, introduce you know, one or more hubs. Uh, and so I think it's going to be a combination of things. Got it. And you mentioned that there's still a lot of work from the product perspective, right, to uh, to really build out the enterprise pieces of your sales hub and service hub, and frankly, even the marketing hub, right? Um, how far up market do you want to take those capabilities? Yeah, why don't I start and you add? Um, the, we have said consistently that we have a target market from two to 2,000 employees. And what has happened historically is that you know, we, our marketing or sales or service customers get to a certain number of employees and, and they sort of upgrade. And we want them to stay with us longer. Uh, we are not foundationally changing that target market. Uh, we want to get our customers early. We want to grow with them. And we just want to grow with them longer. Got it. I think Brian likes to joke that, you know, our customers tend to sort of graduate from us in high school and he wants to keep them through graduate school or maybe get their Ph.D. or something like yeah. that. Uh, so just a bit longer. It's a, it's a, I think that's a, that's a really good goal. Um, <laughs> and you mentioned, Kate, you mentioned, you mentioned the freemium model um, within HubSpot, and that's really worked very well, right? So last year um, you, you added uh, email. In, it was one of the uh, features that you added into your free CRM tier, right? Yep. Um, maybe walk us through, you know, what was the reasoning and the thinking behind um, such powerful functionality into essentially a, a, a f the free version of the product. Yeah. So if you just take a step back, the, the whole purpose of the freemium model is to really broaden 
um, the funnel for potential new customers. Uh, so it is a foundational lead gen engine into the business. And as such, you want to make sure that there's real value in the products that you are launching and, and maintaining in that free tier. And we found that the addition of email into that free product, uh, the marketing free product, was a critical missing component. And so um, we added it so that you know, the, the product really had real value. And I think we've had a history too, Stan, of you know, dropping features and functionality into the high end of the portfolio and then letting that trickle down into professional starter and into the free layers. Another example we'd give is A-B testing was something that was only traditionally available within Marketing Hub Enterprise, and that's something that we've brought down into Marketing Hub Professional. And I think you should look for us to continue to do that. To the trickle sort down. Of right-sizing the value that we're providing within the additions, but to Kate's point, sort of solidifying the low end and making sure that we're providing a ton of value to bring lots of leads up and through that we can ultimately upsell and cross-sell core versions of the product. And, and when when you introduce these types of, I mean, you know, the email marketing is, like I say, a pretty important functionality to do. Do you see any kind of upticks in the conversion rates that you uh, that you recognize a result of um, of you know, really, you know, getting so many leads into the pipeline um, on this this powerful new product, and then subsequently, you know, kind of graduation of them from free products to paid products. Have you seen any upticks in that conversion rate? So what we're really looking for, actually, by introducing free email into the free products is, is a broadening of the free user base. And um, we did see some very positive traction as it relates to, to that. I think the conversion rates from free into the paid tiers have, frankly, stayed pretty consistent. Um, those are the levers that our growth team is playing with. Um, there are a number of things that they can move around with respect to moving features, as Chuck talked about, moving limits, et cetera. And they have you know, goals in mind around, one, the sort of volume of leads coming into any point in the funnel and to the conversion rates from there. Got it. Uh, maybe changing gears slightly, you know, the, the, the latest product that was added to the, um, the, the broader HubSpot platform is Service Hub, right? Um, when you think about the kind of trajectory that service company could have um, as it matures, would it, would it resemble something like, like what we saw with the sales hub? Um, or, you know, you know is, it, it's also possible that it could be slightly slower just because of given the, uh, the reseller community and the partner community that you have for, uh, in your core uh, marketing products and how they would be, would they be able to make the jump, so to speak, um, to also sell service? And I'll take the first part to yep. add some color around the, the partner stuff. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think the simple answer is that we expect, you know, the service hub trajectory um, to be quite strong. Um, it has been since its adoption. It's, it's ahead of the sales hub uh, curve, um, which is Quite frankly, what you would expect, given that you know we have more um, sales reps that are selling it, more partners that are selling it, more opportunities to cross sell it across a larger install base. Uh, but we've been we've been quite happy with um, with the overall trajectory of that. Um, one thing I would say is that with our focus on project main sale in 2019 um, and and sort of shoring up the foundation of the application, 
you know, we did slow new feature and functionality development across the entire portfolio, and and Service Hub, uh, you know, was was you know carried uh, or had an impact, uh, you know, to their their product roadmap as well. Um, you know, I think we're quite excited about you know the teams transitioning beyond project main cell and getting back to new feature and functionality development for marketing hub, for sales hub, uh, and service hub, and uh, you know think that it has the ability to be a um, you know a, a big piece of business for us over the next uh, three to five years. Okay, I don't know if you want to talk about changes to partner channel. Yeah, so we announced some changes to our partner program in January. Uh, if you if you think about the history of the company, and you, you sort of laid out the history of the company as really being founded as a marketing product, um, our partner channel was very much aligned with that marketing product orientation. So most of, if not all of our partners, were marketing agencies who naturally used uh, the product and were... Um, like natural resellers and servicers of the product, not unlike accountants are for Intuit, for example. Mm -hmm. And as we've moved from a single hub marketing to sales and service, some of those some of those partners, really that that sort of top 20%, have come with us on that journey. Right? They have uh, recognized that the world is changing to one where really it's the customer experience and not just the marketing experience that is important, and they have. And they are successful in selling and also servicing our customers across the suite. Um, that said, our partner program was a much less natural fit for the traditional CRM integrators, for sales coaches, et cetera. And we had a bit of a pilot program running for sales partners specifically over the last couple of or last year to 18 months. And we've had some success there. And what that program really did was was lower the entry bar for partnership with HubSpot and, and focus on a different set of certifications and, and qualifications. And so we have relaunched the partner program in January to include, like, called the best of, of those breeds. So it's a much more flexible program in terms of entry point uh, and requirements. Great. Um, so moving on through the hubs, uh, the the sales hub, right? Um, that's been a very strong uh, performing area for you guys, and uh, you know, big contributor to your overall top line growth. Overall, right? As we move forward, um, how do you think about continuing to differentiate the sales hub um, among this you know very crowded landscape of CRM tools? You know, that's CRM, you know, SFA kind of you know tools. Yeah, I mean. I think the good and the bad is that it's been quite crowded for some time, right? Really, for the last 10 or 15 years, uh, and you know the way that we found a way to differentiate and build, you know, a, a decent-sized business that's growing quite fast is through, you know, really a leading-edge, uh, you know, consumer experience. It's you know through integrating it uh, organically with our marketing hub and our service hub so that you're giving sales reps um, all of that context that comes with an end-to-end -end, uh, customer experience. And then more recently, I think it's with you know the investments that we've made into our ecosystem, right? And taking this leading edge uh, you know, CRM that we, we basically give away and wrapping hundreds of 
third-party applications that can sort of plug and play with it uh, to make it even more powerful. So I think it's it's really those three things that have um, have made it as successful as it is. And I, I suppose you know, kind of back to the point that Kate made early on in the conversation, it's, it, it should be no surprise that those are the areas that we're looking to invest, continue to invest quite aggressively in over the next couple of years uh, to continue to drive growth. Well, you, Chuck, you brought up the, the platform, and I think that's a, that's a great um, segue. Um, the, the, that, that's been a big focus area for you guys, right? And you've really been building building out that, that you know the platform strategy um, to have this kind of almost like ecosystem of apps. Um, how are you guys thinking about that um, into 2020 and 2021? Um, and how does PySync acquisition fit into that um, broader strategy? Yeah, I mean we're really excited about the opportunity. Um, and truth be told, if we were sitting here five years ago having this conversation. You know, what you probably would have heard from me was that HubSpot wanted to be this all-in-one platform. And what that meant to us at that period of time was we wanted to be kind of everything to everybody, right? We wanted a marketing, sales, service, and, and everything that, that sat to the left and the right of it. Um, the growing realization over the last couple of years has been the, you know, the proliferation of applications within a, an SMB company has, has grown more quickly than, than we could ever, you know, invest to keep up with. Um, you know, the average, you know, 50-person company SMB has 30 to 40 applications um, in their environment. And so, you know, I would say in the 2018, 17-18 timeframe, we began to transition, sort of open up the, the platform in a way to expose our APIs, do a better job of investing into the documentation so that folks could build atop our platform. And what you've seen as a result is, uh, quite strong growth in terms of the applications that can kind of plug and play with HubSpot today. Um, you know, I think there's over 350 applications uh, today that can plug and play. We have uh, over a million cumulative uh, downloads or installs of, of applications into uh, the CRM that our customers use. And then on average, I think it's it's uh, six to seven applications per customer that's that's getting integrated on top of the the HubSpot CRM for an average customer. And so um, we, um, we're investing aggressively uh, to, to get to a point where it's not just hundreds of applications that plug and play, but thousands uh, that, that plug and play nicely with, with HubSpot. And while not a 2020 opportunity, uh, to the extent that we get the value equation right, we feel like you know, there's, there's you know, the possibility to, to sort of monetize this over time. And how would that... Um Almost like this app ecosystem be monetized hypothetically. Would it be you know almost like a like a you know take rate off of uh, uh, you know the, the the sales percentage? That we are developers. early days in those conversations. That's certainly one option and one that many people uh, pursue. Yeah. Got it. I think on the pricing side, it's important to to point out one of the core. Um, the core advantages of having sort of this ecosystem and all of the apps actually plug and play together is that you have one so central place where all data is stored, and that's often a very, very hard problem to make sure that you get the data in one place and then you keep it in sync. And what PySync has is a technology that makes sure that the data stays consistent or synced up across two applications in a bi-directional way, which, uh, you know, as the financial leader I hear is a very hard uh, and challenging engineering problem. Uh, and so 
what that has allowed us to do is really open up um, the uh, platform to other, you know, technical partners where um, we can sync their data very easily in and out of HubSpot. That, that makes sense. Kate, you do a great job of explaining R&D technology concepts <laughs> by CFO. Thank you. Um, I'll take it as a compliment. Um, so um, maybe getting into something that would be uh, much more in, in your wheelhouse, um, international investments, right? You guys, you know, it's, it's about 40% of your revenue now is yep. international um, and, you know, very well, um, very rapidly growing area of the business. Um, how do you think about your international um, moving forward? And it certainly feels like it's an underpenetrated opportunity. But um, as far as balancing, you know, where the incremental dollars, uh, investment dollars are flowing, whether it should be going internationally or in the U.S., um, how do you think about all these opportunities? Yeah, you know, we certainly look at unit economics as the primary way to judge where we're going to put investment. Um, we do think there's a lot of opportunity to grow domestically. We think there's a lot of opportunity to grow internationally. On the international front, uh, we have, you know, a set of markets that we've been um, operating in for, you know, a decent amount of time that have a core critical mass. Um, we have a whole set of markets uh, for whom we're really just starting to get to, uh, to get the flywheel spinning, actually, to get the critical mass in and really get the engine running. So um, we will continue to make investments you know, in both of those uh, areas. Got it. Um, the, maybe just taking a, taking a step back, right? Um, there's been an increasing, um, at least in software, right? There's really been an increasing number of um, SMB-focused vendors, right? Because I mean, if you think about it very holistically, you know, 10 years ago, before SaaS really proliferated, it was it was you know, maybe, maybe 15 years ago. It was really hard for... We're all getting old now. I know. Say, like, yeah, yeah, you have to be batting on a yeah. couple of fives. 25 um, years ago. <laughs> um, before we get too depressed. Um, <laughs> so there's, you know, there's really a lot of SMBs attacking... I'm sorry, a lot of software vendors attacking the SMB market. Um, um, how, do you, um, how do you as a customer, as a company, um, decide which... Um, SMB segments you focus on, because there could almost be like like subsegments, right? Is it you know the, the I mean I know you guys you know talk about you know the, the 20 to 10, but what about even like you know maybe below 20? Like you know is is that not a an attractive area, or is there something specific about you know potentially not you, something about that segment that you're not interested in? Is it the economics or something like that? I can. You want me to start? Yeah, no, I think there's been competition at the low end of the market for a very long time. I think what we, the reason that we focus at that sort of two to two thousand is that we want to, we want our customers who have real growth aspirations, and we will, we want to get them early, and then we want to grow with them, uh, and we believe that sort of that two person, as low of a limit as that is, does provide sort of a, a, at least a bar that um, correlates to, you know, growth aspiration. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out one, and then we'll see um, if there are any questions um, in the audience. Um, net revenue retention. Um, you guys, you know, since going IPO, have done an outstanding job of really driving that number. Um, I think back, you know, back at IPO, it was somewhere in the mid-'80s, and now it's, you know, essentially at 100. 
Um, how do we, how should we think about net revenue retention moving forward? And do you need to continue to bring out brand new hubs to drive that number? Uh, and, and actually, well, maybe not drive it, but continue to sustain that number above 100. Or is this kind of like the new normal is you know, the 100 level? Do you, I, I can go ahead. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. I, I, will. Haven't, I haven't spoken for a minute. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll dive in. Um, I mean, new products help, right? As as evidenced by you know the back half of 18 and changing pricing uh, can help as well. But to your point, right? Like as the products get better. Um, you know, there are opportunities to sort of move it up over, over time, and you've seen that since our IPO, right, where it was in the mid-90s, and I think we've consistently moved it up over time, although, you know, there are quarters where it can kind of move around. Right. Um, you know, ultimately, it just comes down to, you know, the, the strength of the products and uh, the opportunity within the install base, and uh, I don't see any reason why 100% isn't, you know, sustainable, and to the extent that there are opportunities to take it higher, we, of course, will endeavor to uh, to achieve that. Got it. All right, well, let's see if there are any uh, questions in the audience. No? All right. Right. E easy, easy enough. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll keep right on rolling. Um, so getting into some, uh, some financial numbers, some financial questions. Um, your 2020 guidance calls um, for about you know mid 20s type of re revenue growth, and you just provided that guidance two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> if we were in, uh, we sit here today and we look at these numbers, if we were to see upside uh, to those numbers, um, where would that come from? Would it come from uh, come from faster uh, pace of customer acquisition, uh, better retention numbers, uh, maybe revenue per customer expansion? How should we think about those different levers? I mean, I think it's really hard to say, you know, here, is it March 2nd? Two weeks um, later. Yeah, two weeks into giving guidance at this point. I mean, you know, Stan, you've been, you've been covering us for long enough to know that, you know, from time to time, you know, the business can mix more up market. From time to time, it can mix more down market. And uh, to the extent that it heads in one direction or the other, you can see, you know, outsized growth in customers or ASP, and of course, they're you know, to the point where we're just talking about their retention um, implications as well. And so, I mean, my personal hope, uh, to the extent that you know the the demand environment holds up, and you know we execute at the level that I I think that we can, is that you would see you know upside across all of that. But um, it's really hard to sort of dimension quarter to quarter and year to year um, because you just don't necessarily know where the demand is going to come from. Um, so I don't know if you'd add anything to that. But no. maybe, so maybe just one last one from, from my end. I, I feel like no, no, no Q&A is complete without a question on margins. Um, so margins for this year. In, in as much as you, you know, last year you fell behind on hiring a little bit, and then yep. you caught up very quickly. Uh, are you almost in a way um, – Compensating to the uh, on the other end where you're over hiring now, as in like you're high, you're trying to hire faster than you would, and so as not to fall behind. Um, and as a result, maybe you know, is that pressuring some of the putting pressure some on, uh, some pressure on the margins uh, heading into 2020? No, no. Um, so we have said consistently that we wanted to build a business that was making the right long-term decisions. 
the right long-term decision in our view for 2020 was to have a sort of normal course year of hiring where you hired a reasonable number of people uh, across each of the quarters. Uh, but what that meant was, you know, given the, the significant ramp in hiring in the back half of the year, uh, was that the margins were going to be pressured, particularly in the front half of the year. And in addition to the overall guidance for the year, we also shared that the majority of the margin pressure was focused in the first half of the year, where we saw sort of three points of margin pressure, where the back half of the year will be mostly more like margin neutral. Okay. All right. Well, I think this is a great place for us to stop. Uh, Kate, Chuck, thank you so much for your thank time you. today. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having us.